June 23rd, a 125-year-old statue in Madison, Wisconsin, is removed from its perch. Colonel Hans Christian Haig hated slavery, but still, he goes down. What are you doing? That's how I roll. Hans Christian Haig was one of America's fiercest anti-slavery activists. Protesters, last Tuesday decapitated his statue's head. Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh. One protester goes on to say, the fall of the statues is a huge gain for the movement, though I think that liberal and conservative media outlets will try to represent last night as senseless violence rather than the strategic political move it really was. Dealing with sometimes the uncomfortable and always the historical, my name is Marcus, and this is Ozymandias. Who made this thing? Who is the guy? What was happening when it was put up? And how did it come down? Let's start. Before we talk about this statue itself and its makeup, let's just look at where this thing sat for 125 years. Madison, Wisconsin, I've been there, separating and connecting the university with the state capitol is State Street in a prime fixture right at the top of the order leading up to the state capitol stairs was this nine foot tall, three foot wide granite base, six foot by five foot, five feet tall granite block of earth created in 1925 as a gift from the Norwegian Society of America, which totally fundraised the cost. A Norwegian American sculptor named Paul Fjordi, who described his work and said, I've created this in a way that shows Colonel Haig in difference than what his photograph showed. After all, he was a young man, only 33 when he died. I tried to regain the spirit of youth, which must have been his before the cares of war had aged him beyond his years. I think I succeeded. The statue was shipped from, from Norway to the United States on August 21st of 1925 after its arrival because this was such a bootstrapped GoFundMe type of project. This 2,000-pound crate containing the statue was stored in the Capitol building in storage for a couple of months because they needed to fundraise um, the value for that granite block base. And that $2,000 after that was used to purchase um, the, the base for the statue, the statue was able to be put into place in front of the Wisconsin State Capitol. Thank you, Norway, and thank you to everyone who was involved in this bottoms-up statue placement story. Very impressive. As impressive as the fundraising story is and like the genesis of, of putting this thing together, um, Hans Christian Haig himself is, is more impressive than his history. So just digging in and giving him a little bit of a moment. Born in Drammen, Norway, the oldest of four children, son of an innkeeper. Uh, if you think about Drammen, Norway, I think about it like a small like pre-suburb suburb, just like a couple of days outside of Oslo, Norway's capital. So 
Hans Christian Haig, he's 11 years old when his family moves to Muskego, Wisconsin. Wisconsin on, baby. Let's go. Um, a wide awake and open boy is how some of his father's notes were referring to him. Um, nine years later, he grows up in Wisconsin. He's a first-generation American. He campaigns with some friends to the Bay Area. Shout out San Francisco. And Hans Christian Haig was a 49er chasing the discovery of gold. In a journal from one of his friends, T.C. Belgen, a 49er, like gold-panning traveling partner, he commented on Dramon that he was reasonably successful, but that news came from his father's death in 1850. His mother died in 1842. It was clearly his duty to assume charge of the farm and care of his younger brothers and sisters. 1851, after gold miner like School of Hard Knocks, Hans Christian Haig gets back on the, on the wagon and comes home to Muskego to raise his family. The farm, quote unquote, is 320 acres. It's massive. He quickly gets married. He's a 22-year-old. His life is just jumping so much further ahead than what we think about today as far as like traditional path. Um, he marries a Norwegian uh, gal. She actually has ties to Lawrence, Kansas. Shout out LFK for my listeners who know all about that beautiful city. Um, he's, he's a leader of the community. He goes on to kind of establish some of Wisconsin's early uh, persona characteristics, freedom, equality, and brotherhood. Those were her, his North Stars. And he started contributing as a kind of political commentator to the Free Soil Party, you think about last episode, kind of made the comment about the nativist party, um, thinking about Daniel Day-Lewis. Well, the free soil party is the opposite of that. And another just historical perspective, what we learn about all these stories is there were lots of different political parties all throughout the United States and all of these hubs. Um, so friendly reminder that diversity of political parties and uh, is good. And shout out to all these individuals heeding our founding fathers' great fear of the two-party system. So he's a political man. He's getting his start from 1852 to 1859. Uh, Hans Christian Haig has a couple of offices. He actually takes over like a prison, and it looks like he goes on to make this prison not just a place of punishment, but a place to reclaim the wandering and the lost. Those are his words. Pretty incredible guy. 1861. Letter comes in the mail. Abraham Lincoln is asking for volunteers to help fight for the Union, to preserve the Union. And one of the first to organize in the state of Wisconsin in that region was Hans Christian Haig. He went on to, using his status in the community, register 890 Civil War volunteers for the Union. Hans Christian Haig, 890 volunteers. During the war, he goes on to write so many letters back home to his wife, to his family, to his, to his brothers and sisters. His troops describe his, him as a man of courage, ambition, depth, and kindness. Here's one soldier writing, the, Colonel of, the story of Colonel Hans C. Haig is a story of one who threw himself wholly into the currents of his adopted country. Without reserve, he gave the best that he had to America. He knew the trials as well as he knew the opportunities that he was passing in the West. He gave himself without qualification to the future of our country. Throughout the Civil War, Hans Christian Haig, he's actually leading a little side project, a side hustle of a militia that targeted slave catchers in Wisconsin. 
So he's fighting these guys, and at the Battle of Chickamauga, he's on his way to becoming a brigadier general. He's struck by a bullet and dies that night. Hans Christian Haig dies at 33, a life cut short. On his tombstone it reads, He has gone to the last long march, to the land where nevermore shall the bugle sound rouvé, or the dreadful cannon roar. He who dies for country dies not, but liveth evermore. This is the Hans Christian Haig story. This is an immigration story. This is a success of American kind of openness for immigrants to be successful in our land. Um, What's happening when this statue goes up is for sure on the heels of a similar type of conversation. Hans Christian Haig's statue officially goes onto that granite block in 1925. Between the years of Hans Christian Haig's death and 1925, actually rather, if we look back from Hans Christian's kind of from his timeline, 1825 to 1925, that 100 year gap, this is kind of a crazy stat. One third of Norway's population immigrates to the United States. 800,000 Norwegians are representative by this Hans Christian Haig story. And just a small piece of that immigration story, of course, were a part of his regiment in the Civil War, his folks that he registered for battle. And the Twin Cities area accounts for a vast majority and Muskogee as well is a huge hub of this Norwegian immigrantial influential narrative. This is an immigrant story. Hans Christian Haig, on his way to becoming this kind of historical figure, first has to learn English, first has to belong to and choose the national identity, and to then ultimately choose to volunteer to fight for it. That's how much he believed in it as a first-generation American who came to uh, the Sea to Shining Sea when he was just 11 years old, and he was born in that world. Flashing forward, 1925, when this statue goes up, almost a million Norwegians have now moved to the United States. World War I has just ended, and while Norway was officially neutral, they were heavily supplying Great Britain and the United States in arms and supplies. This is a tale of bringing these two cultures together. What was even happening? In 1925, when the commonalities between these two cultures were commemorated. Um, Well, on one hand, what we're looking at is in the United States in 1925, in the year that Hans Christian Haig's statues going up in Madison, Wisconsin, F. Scott Fitzgerald writes The Great Gatsby. New York City becomes the largest city in the world, surpassing London, a new world order, some might say. May 5th, 1925, the famous Scopes trial. Dayton, Tennessee, biology teacher John Scopes is arrested for teaching Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. The times they are a-changing, my friends. January 1st, earlier in the year, 1925, looking at Norway, the capital city of Christiania reclaims its original name of Oslo. 
Christiania, quick history, super quick aside. There's a dramatic fire, 1624. King Christian IV decides that the town should be rebuilt in the area below the Arachris Fortress. It's basically the, the power seat of, of Norwegian history. And the name of the town is changed after this great fire to Christiania, of course, named after King Christian himself. A little bit of a uh, playing of the fiddle while the city burns. Shout out Nero, our guy. From 1877, the spelling changes again and all the way up until 1925. A cultural reawakening of the Norwegian people hearkening back to the 15th century. The name Oslo. The name Oslo becoming the capital of Norwegian culture in the same year that our friend Hans Christian Haig is immortalized in Madison, Wisconsin for not only being a representative of American success as an immigrant story, but also being a representative of all Norwegian culture and heritage success story as a representative participant of all of Norway and all of Scandinavia in history taking place at the same time that the capital itself is going through this cultural awakening. The feeling of when this statue goes up, you can actually make the argument that 1925 Hans Christian Haig is actually bigger than just an American history's tale itself. This is a global event. We've talked about this on the pod a number of times already, but the point that I want to make here and kind of using this example from Norwegian history, in 1925, what you're already starting to see is an identity, an identity story, a turn inward, a turn to the historical, a turn to Oslo. Just a few years later, Franklin Delano Roosevelt will be making a similar push in this post-Great War, almost like antebellum period of its own in this post-war period, the way that cultural appropriation and cultural renaissance occurs in these post-war periods is a is a theme that we've seen now on multiple podcasts where the people of Norway recast and recreate their identity in a symbolic gesture of changing the name of their capital to a more um, local, local theme and local tune. It cannot be overlooked that in this time in this 20s, early 30s, pre-World War II, in this window, we've got multiple examples now, already early in our pod, of the way that officials in elective capacities at the turn of the 20th century are using history to chart the course for their country's future. And then as an aside, the the allusion to the, that reference there with FDR. Of course, we're talking about uh, our, our, our good friend, Christopher Columbus. I think it's probably safe to say that Christopher Columbus would have 
probably he would not have gotten along with Hans Christian Haig just on the historical spectrum opposite ends of what we are are talking about you know 1925 in this Hans Christian Haig story and Madison itself coming back to 2020 Tuesday night it's not just the Hans Christian Haig statue that I want to mention here but there was a second statue that also ironically had stood in front of the Capitol since 1925 95 years the other statue is titled famously quote unquote forward forward is Wisconsin's motto Uh, Forward, this statue is an allegory of devotion and progress. This this statue was placed just like what we were talking about with Oslo a second ago to cast in symbolism from this moment what our time says about our present and where we are going. And Forward, the Forward statue, was created by sculptor Jean Pond Miner. She huge exclamation mark that we have a, a, a woman artist making their presence known on the pod. Great job, Gene. Uh, we, we hope to find more of you in, in our nation's monument history. Um, sadly, I think that you're, you're probably uh, on a short list of, of people that have been honored in this way, but looking forward to finding out more, and hopefully I, I, I'm surprised. Um, she... Born and grew up in Madison, graduated from Downer College, a women's college in Fox Lake. She went on to study at the Art Institute of Chicago, another like local success story, planned to become a painter. And according to, you know, some of the folks that, 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 that are a part of her educational curriculum, you know, she grows up and, and actually has clashes with these, these these monument kind of professors, these art teachers at the Art Institute of Chicago, and she's noted in history as having this big blowout fight with this guy, this famous sculptor, Laredo Taft, uh, telling her to change her focus, telling her that she needs to focus on something else, telling her that she's she's doing the wrong career. Um, Well, shows you what, Laredo Taft, no idea who you are, and now everyone on the pod knows who Gene Pond Miner is. Um, so we're going to go with Gene on this one because this forward statue created by a woman in Madison, Wisconsin, that went up 1925, just a perfect representation of Lady Liberty incarnate. We have to ask ourselves, what would she say about her town of Madison? where Molotov cocktails are being thrown, where police are using pepper spray to stop protesters from getting inside of the state capitol on the night when her and Hans Christian Haig statues are removed. What would these two say? What would these two's commentary be? As Democratic State Senator Tim Carpenter on the night of these protests is just taking pictures of what's happening and he says, I don't know what happened. All I did was stop and take a picture. The next thing that I know, I'm getting five or six punches, getting kicked in the head. This is a Democrat in Wisconsin. Hans, can you help us out? Hans Christian Haig says in a letter to his wife the night before he is killed in battle. You may become a widow, but you will never be the widow of a coward. 
Wisconsin on forward progress and what are we as individuals prepared to lose and what are we prepared to die for to preserve the dream of the national liberty that brought us all here in the first place. The history of Hans's monument and his story tells us that we should be prepared to sacrifice everything for Gene's monument, the monument forward. For the bad guys and for the good guys, history and time reign supreme. So as we will say today, for Gene and for Hans, we bid you both farewell. As we do on this podcast, let's give it to Percy Shelley to close us off. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my work, see mighty in despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. This has been Ozymandias. See you on the next one. Mm